I want to call this message today the original jailhouse rock. Three men were sitting together bragging about how they had given their new wives some chores to do around the house. The first man had married a woman from Alabama and bragged that he had told his wife she was going to do all the dishes and all the house cleaning that needed to be done at their house. He said that the first day wasn't too good, but on the second day he came home to a clean house and the dishes were all washed and put away. The second man had married a woman from Florida. He bragged about that he had given his wife orders that she was to do all the house cleaning, all the dishes, all the cooking. He told them the first day he didn't see any results, but by the next day it was better. And by the third day, his house was clean. The dishes were done. And she had a huge dinner waiting on the table. The third man had married a Texas girl. He boasted that he had told her that her duties were to keep the house clean, washed of all the dishes, and mow the lawn, wash all the laundry, and have hot meals on the table for every meal. He said the first day he didn't see anything. The second day he didn't see anything either. But by the third day, most of the swelling had gone down. <clears throat> and he could see a little bit out of his left eye. Enough to clean up the living room, fix himself a bite to eat, load the dishwasher, put in a load of whites, and telephone a lawn service and ask her if there was anything else he could do. <clears throat> All you Texas wives say amen. amen. And you visiting wives say, I like this pastor. <laughs> All right, stand with me and we're going to read Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 <clears throat> and verse 16. I tell you, I just am feeling so strongly and I believe so strongly that we need to become worshipers of God. How many of you can say, this week I did pause to praise. I thought to thank and I willed to worship. How many of you can say that? <clears throat> uh, there, I was telling Kathy on the way here, there were several times I did remember to do it. And I said, you know, Kathy, it doesn't come naturally. There's a lot of times when you ought to be praising God that it's not malicious, you just don't think to do it. Several times I thought to do it, but in retrospect, there were several times I should have. And I just didn't think to thank. But I'm trying to learn that God's power is released when we praise Him, and we need to become praisers. Now, <clears throat> Acts 16, verse 16, we read, we're jumping in the middle of an amazing story. Now, it happened as we went to prayer. This is Paul or Luke talking as he traveled with Paul and his band of missionaries, it happened as we went to prayer that there was a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination who met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation true statement and this she did for many days but Paul realizing something was wrong because you can say the right thing in a wrong spirit Paul realizing 
something was wrong, was annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fast fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, I love the word suddenly in the book of Acts, because suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to commit suicide. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to get the God you've got? That's how you translate this verse. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to get the God, to meet the God, to know the God you've got? And Paul shared the gospel easily. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and he's also going to invade your home. You and all your household. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to bless you today. <clears throat> now as we get into the 16th chapter of Acts, we find that Paul and Silas and some other believers have been on the road again. <clears throat> they have just begun their first journey into Greece to spread the good news. They're traveling full of the Holy Ghost. They have a divine commission from God. And it started when Paul received a vision one night of a man of Macedonia begging the apostle to come and help us. Come and help us. That's what he saw in his dream. Concluding that God wanted him to carry the gospel message to the west, Paul and his uh, companions immediately set sail for Greece and they made their way to Philippi. Now when Paul had the nerve to exercise a demonic spirit he was not talking to a, a female, to a woman, to flesh and blood, but an evil spirit had attached itself to their band of missionaries, and that evil spirit was speaking over them and grieving them. 
Paul knew I'm not battling flesh and blood. And we must realize, church, that we, every single day of the week, encounter things that are not flesh and blood. Paul told us there is a world beyond the veil. There is another world that we cannot see. And in that world, there are demonic spirits that attack God's people. And this girl was not saved. And she was being controlled by an evil spirit. And Paul, knowing that there was authority in the name of Jesus, finally became so grieved and so vexed that he turned around and spoke directly to the spirit and commanded that spirit to come out of her. In that very hour, this divining spirit, psychic spirit, came out. And the Bible says, after he had exercised this demonic spirit from this fortune-telling slave girl, it seriously ruffled the feathers of some leading members of the Philippi Chamber of Commerce. After all, they were making some pretty good money on this girl. They were making a fortune off of this fortune teller. Kind of an early day version of the psychic hotline. These businessmen responded by filling or filing some trumped up charges against Paul and Silas, lied about them, hauled them over to the center of the marketplace. And that's when things really began to turn ugly. You know, folks, we're in a warfare. And when you engage the enemy, he doesn't just sit there and say, oh, well, I've lost another battle. No, when you engage the enemy, this is war. This is not tinker toys. This is war. This is not Legos. This is war. We're in a battle, and we've got an enemy. And that enemy is called the devil, Satan, split hoof. And he is against the church of Jesus Christ, and he does not want people being saved. He doesn't want churches being built. He knew that these men of God were coming to this area to build a church and win souls. And look at the, look at the adversity they encountered. These businessmen who had been exploiting this young woman dragged Paul and Silas before the local authorities telling them something like this. These men are undermining the family values and Roman laws that make our city strong. The girl's greedy owners managed to stir up the public as well, not just the Chamber of Commerce, but the entire public square. And before you know it, Paul and Silas, Silas are sitting in jail, jail, jail for casting a demon out, stripped of their clothing, beaten with rods. The Bible says after a severe flogging, they were thrown into prison. Their jailer ordered to lock them up tight. It reminds me of what the Roman guards were told with the body of Jesus in the tomb. They were given the order, make it as secure as you can. But I've got good news for you today, church. When God watched you out, you will get out. You can't keep a godly man or woman down when God wants them up. The jailer took no chances and he put them in the innermost cell deep down in this dungeon and secured their feet in stocks. The Living Bible vividly describes this, and I want to read it to you out of the Living Bible. A mob was quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the judges ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden whips. Again and again, the rods slashed down across their bared backs, and afterwards they were thrown into prison. 
The jailer was threatened with death if they escaped, so he took no chances, put them into the inner dungeon, and clamped their feet into the stocks for turning around and casting a devil out of a girl. Amazing. The Greek word used for stocks sometimes referred to a kind of heavy wooden collar put on the neck of a prisoner, hence the phrase to make fast his neck in the pillory. Sometimes it referred to what was known as stocks with five holes, two for the feet, two for the hands, one for the neck. They were first beaten with rods, which was exactly that, beaten. The Greek language is so clear, they were severely flogged. The Jews had a law that limited the number of blows to 40, and the usual amount was 39, and that's what our Lord Jesus Christ received. But the Romans had no such law. And later in a letter to the Corinthians, Paul remarks that he was beaten times without count, without number. And it's likely the beating was severe. So physically, they were in an incredible weakness as they sat in this black, dark, dank, dingy dungeon, chained to the wall, fastened perhaps even their necks in a stock, bleeding out of their back. A dark prison cell as far back in the dank darkness as they could be placed, they were placed without the comfort of the brethren. So emotionally, they were also isolated. There weren't any phones. There was no email. There was no letter carriers. They couldn't communicate. They were totally, completely, and thoroughly isolated for casting a demon out of a girl. Having secured the apostles, the jailer went to bed, but I doubt that Paul and Silas went to sleep. Their backs were still raw from the flogging. They couldn't recline without pain. Think about it. I want us to step into the scene for a moment. Their mental state was affected as well by their condition and their surroundings. Even in this dismal, worldly state, we find that the spirit within them still thrived. Their bones were sore and tender from the beating. They couldn't find a comfortable position. No way that they turned was comfortable. Every turn, every move excited agony and pain. If you sat up straight, your legs hurt because your feet were bound in chains and fetters. If you lay back, your bruised and bleeding back scraped on the stone floor. Hungry rats scurried around the bottom of their unlighted dungeon. You would hear it in the dark. Feel them brush up against your leg. This was not the Tarrant County Jail. This was not Huntsville. This was not like an American prison. This was a dungeon down in the ground. Now pause a moment and be honest with yourself and with God. What would you do in such misery? What would you do in the same circumstances? What would you do? I think most of us would start complaining. I think most of us would start murmuring. I think most of us would be crying out to be able to contact our attorney. We'd be talking about going on the next talk show, the next network television show, the next Christian program to talk about how we were persecuted for Jesus. I think most of us would begin to complain and murmur and ask God, why? Why? I was doing something right, doing something good. Why did this happen to me? We lament the injustice of it all. 
which would eventually turn into general all-purpose whining. How many of you can say, that's probably true, let's be honest today? <laughs> because some of you gripe and complain when you got a flat this week. Some of you have said to yourself here in church today, it's too hot in here today. I know I did, and I, I had to repent standing there because I knew what I was going to preach. We say it's a bad day if we have a flat, if the AC doesn't work, if we're too hot somewhere, if we don't have enough money to get what we want. But these men were thrown down into a dungeon for something they did right. And they were suffering terribly. But i got to tell you something, church. I read this story, and it occurs to me that you find out what's in you in the midnight hour. You find out how deep God has really dug His work down in your soul in the midnight hour. It's easy to wake up on a Sunday morning and say, I believe we're going to get up and bless God. We're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord and get dressed for church. We put on a suit. We put on a dress. We put on something. We come to church. And we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's no police out there. There's no threats out there. We've got freedom to praise the Lord all day until we drop. It's easy to get up when times are good and say, I'm going to go praise the Lord. But it's different when it's midnight, when everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. It's different when it's midnight, when you get a call from the school that you've got to go take care of your children because they're in trouble. It's different when it's midnight and you don't have enough money to pay the next bills. Will we praise God in the midnight hour? Because the Bible tells us Luke tells us that about midnight, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. Shackled, imprisoned, beaten, bleeding within an inch of their life. These men found something deep down in their soul that I wonder how many Christians would have if we were put in the same situation. Listen, it is when you get squeezed really tight that you see what comes out of your spirit. And what came out of their spirit was praise. Praise to God. They praised and they worshiped God in spite of the horrible conditions surrounding their day. Mentally, emotionally, and physically. You talk about a bad day at the office. They had a bad day at the office. They looked up to God for sustaining power. And we find them at midnight first praying. You know, folks, if I'm shackled, if I'm in a prison, if I'm in a dungeon way down, shackled to a wall, I can't see. I haven't done anything wrong. It takes something to exercise your faith at that moment and look up and say, I'm going to pray to God instead of asking Him why. I'm going to believe that He knows all about this. I'm going to believe that He's got His finger on the pulse of this problem. I'm going to believe that greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. I'm going to believe that my God is able to answer prayer. The Bible says that they were first praying. The word praying here in the Greek language means to pray earnestly. Webster defines earnest as seriously intent, grave, and important. 
Paul and Silas understood the gravity of the situation, but they also understood the power of God, and thus to Him they turned in this dismal, dark, dank setting. After having been beaten to a bloody pulp, the apostles began to pray. Can I tell you something today, church? God knows about your midnight hour. He knows what you're facing that nobody else may know about. He knows what you're fighting. He knows what you're experiencing. He knows what the enemy has set against you. He knows that you have been in the crosshairs of hell. And my God wants to answer your prayer. It is now in the midnight hour that He wants to show Himself strong on your behalf. He is not non-plus or checkmated by the devil he knows what the devil has done and he's waiting for somebody to look up and say well what else am i going to do i'm just going to pray to you and i'm going to ask you to break through on this deal so they began to pray and in the midnight hour not just physically but spiritually as well they thought to thank they paused to praise and they willed to worship. Oh, let me tell you, that's when God wants us to learn how to praise. Learning in here is just praise 101. Learning with a bunch of other believers is praise 101. It's junior college. When you really learn to praise is when you're in rush hour traffic, it's not moving, your air conditioner has broken down, everybody around you has cursed you, then you stop and think, well, this is a good time to pause to praise. Listen, you know you're growing in worship when you've had a fight with your spouse, things are not good at home, you don't know which way to turn, that is when you pause to praise and you release God into your problem by the power of praise. Come on, everybody. We all have midnight hours, those times when it doesn't seem anything else could go wrong, and then it does go wrong. I love the meaning of singing here. It says to celebrate God in song. That's what it means. They were singing hymns. And the word hymn just means a song of praise. They were singing songs of praise to God. They were celebrating God in song. Oh, this is powerful stuff, y'all. Because this made the difference between victory and defeat. This made the difference between getting out and staying in. This made the difference between people being saved or people being convinced your God is not real. Listen, it was a defining moment when they decided to praise God in the midnight of the midnight at 11.59 when you couldn't see anything good happening at all. That's when they lifted their hands and lifted their voice and praised God. They didn't feel like celebrating in their situation. They didn't feel like it. Do you think that an anointing came over them and said, Hey, Silas, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the anointing to praise God. Uh-uh. I think they said, I think we need to practice what I've been telling the churches in Colossians and Ephesians. I want you to thank God in all things. I want you to have anxiety about nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God wants you to thank Him. He wants you to praise Him in the presence of every single thing in life. That separates the religious from the real. That separates church people from Christians. That separates the boys from the men. Come on, church. This is real stuff. I don't know about you, but so often when trouble comes, we find ourselves focusing on the problems and not celebrating God. And the Bible says when we do that, we limit His power. What songs would you sing in a dungeon after a severe flogging, what song would be tailor-made for prison? Maybe Paul and Silas sang, Goodbye, love, goodbye, happiness. <laughs> Maybe they sang Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock. How about Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues? Merle Haggard knows prison from the inside. Maybe the apostles sang Merle's Sing a Sad Song or his Life in Prison song. Uh-uh. I don't think they sang any of those. You know what I think they did? I think they did what they taught the church to do in the Bible. They made up a melody in their heart. They had a new song. They began to praise God with a new song that came out of a heart that had been redeemed, came out of a spirit that was touched by His Spirit. I believe they began to practice what they had told the churches. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul might have turned to Silas and said, Hey! I was in a horrible pit and he brought me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and he has set my feet upon a rock and put a new song in my mouth. Come on, Silas, preach to me and I'll preach to you. And he's put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Many are going to see it in fear and trust in the Lord. He said the same thing. To the Ephesians, talk with each other much about the Lord, quoting psalms and hymns of praise and singing spiritual songs. One commentator wrote, the songs Paul and Silas sang were sufficiently sturdy to take to prison for they were rooted in the story of God's love, the story of a God who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I believe that. I believe as they sang the songs that God gave them, it had to do with the blood. It had to do with the cross. It had to do with the Holy Spirit. It had to do with heaven. It had to do with Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I'm a little stirred up about this because I know that deep down inside of every one of us there is a fountain. There is a river and it's supposed to make glad the city of God. It is our God who gives streams in the desert, roads in the wilderness, paths in the mighty waters, and songs in the night. Pastor Tony Evans tells the following story. I like this. On August 14, 2003, Lois and I were in New York preparing to return to Dallas when the lights went out. That's right. We were two of the 50 million people affected by the largest electrical blackout in U.S. history. I'll never forget that day since our lives and plans were turned upside down. One of the many challenges that faced us that day was finding a place to stay since all flights had been canceled. We finally located a hotel that had a remaining room and settled in for the evening. The problem was that because there was no power, 
There were no lights, no air conditioning, no TV, and worst of all, no warm food. When we got to our room, we opened the blinds only to discover that the hotel across the street was full of lights. People were talking and eating and enjoying themselves. We decided we needed to cross over to see how this was possible. When we entered this hotel, the air was cool. TVs were on everywhere, and people were in high spirits. It was a totally different atmosphere from where we were staying just a few yards away. Why was there such a major contrast? It really was rather simple. One hotel had a generator, and the other one didn't. They possessed a power source that enabled them to transcend the darkness and it made all the difference in the world. Today, many are living in darkness and despair because they have never understood the unique life-giving ministry of the Holy Ghost. Now, church, let me just tell you the obvious. We are not those who are sitting in a hotel with no generator. When the Holy Spirit fell... On the day of Pentecost, Jesus said, You shall receive power. You shall receive power. Come on, folks. You're going to receive power. Power from God. I mean, this is real stuff. We've got a generator on the inside. We've got a generator. And all we need to do is learn how to plug it in. And you plug it in by pausing to praise, thinking to thank, willing to worship. I don't want to be that hotel across the street. We've got churches all over this city that don't have any air conditioning, don't have any light, don't have any power because they have said all of that passed away with the first century, but not this church. I'm telling you, we received power when the Holy Ghost came upon us. And that power is the way that we have light in the dark. Power when there isn't any. Air conditioning when there shouldn't be any. Relief in the middle of the storm. Thank God for the Holy Ghost and power. It keeps me alive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Praise His name. Praise His name. Praise you, Lord. We praise you. So in the midnight hour, I can either sit there frustrated with no power, no life, no light, no sustenance, no source, or I can say, you know what? I know that my Lord and my God gave me a generator. As soon as I was born again, the generator was placed within. He is called the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not an it. It is not some ethereal fog. The Holy Ghost is not some force where you say the force be with you. Uh-uh. The Holy Ghost is a person, and He is activated within us when we praise God. 
So I'm tired of churches that don't have power. I'm tired of churches that don't preach Jesus. I'm tired of churches where nobody's getting saved. We need to see the power of God released through the power of the Holy Ghost. We've got something better than drugs out there, something better than hugging a tree, something better than Buddhism, something better than transcendental meditation. His name is Jesus, and he gave his church a generator. One way we access that mighty generator is by praising the power of God into your problem. What do you invite into your problem? Worry? Fear? Something's going to come into your problem. Do you invite worry? Do you invite fear? Do you get all tight on the inside and stay awake at nights, worrying yourself half to death? We all invite something into our problem. And I was talking to a couple this week where the man is fighting cancer. And I said this statement, and I hadn't even thought about it before. It just came out. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to praise the power of God into your problem. And you may not feel like it. No. It may not be an anointing that's washing all over you. No, that's why it's called the sacrifice of praise. It's something you will to do. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If it's raining, if it's overcast. Kathy, I walked out today to come to church, and I said, oh, man, I was hoping the sun would shine today, and I caught myself again. This is the day the Lord has made, Jeff. Rejoice and be glad in it. There's a reason it's overcast. There, listen, we're not waiting for a happening to make us happy. We're not supposed to need just the right weather, just the right circumstances, just the right people, just the right things that are there that suddenly we find happiness. No, the Bible concept of happiness is you praise and worship God and look up in faith and joy invades your problem and you practice the presence of God in the midst of your problem. You may have an immediate deliverance like these men did. You may not. Whether or not you do, you have his presence there with you. And I want to close with this. Notice with me, Luke records, the prisoners were listening. The prisoners were listening. What were they listening to? Two men who I'm sure were not perfect tenors and basses singing praise to God. Huh. And the Bible is so clear. I love the Greek language. Here's why. Because the word used here for listening is used only once in the whole New Testament, and it's right here. And it means to strain to hear. What are they singing? Because there's something about that raspy old song. You know what I'm looking forward to on the 24th of March? People... And in October at the American Airlines Center, 20,000? Because there's something about a song of praise. There's something about a song of worship. When you're not singing about him, but you're singing to him, and you're a real child of God, there is something that gets all over that. And the Bible says 
straining to hear the sounds rising up from the depths of the prison. And they wanted to hear the beautiful sound that these songs of praise to God were bringing to them because those songs were implanting faith. You know, folks, so often in our despair, we forget that others are watching or listening to maybe find a way out of their own despair. So they watch you, not when you go to church and everything's going good. They watch you Monday through Friday. They watch you in the midnight hour to see what comes out of you. We don't know the outcome of these prisoners who heard and were involved in the jailhouse rock. We know the effect we have on many people we meet in our everyday life. We no doubt will meet one day meet in heaven many who are there because of what they heard that day. I believe that. I'll meet people in heaven who heard that song that day. Now picture yourself as that jailer, and I'm going to close with this. Working the graveyard shift at the Philippi City Jail. Maybe you're sitting back in your chair reading a copy of the Philippi Morning News, thinking about the eggs and bacon your wife is going to have cooked for you later when you get off work unless she was from Texas. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Out of one eye, you size up these pesky foreigners in the jail. And it becomes pretty clear to you they must be religious fanatics. I mean, here it is. It's after midnight, after the beating these guys got. They should be whimpering, nursing their wounds, just trying to make it through the night. But what do you see? There's Paul and Silas praying and singing to God and the other prisoners caught by it, transfixed by it, straining to hear them. The air suddenly becomes charged with something you don't recognize. This has got to be one of the top ten weirdest nights of your career, thought the jailer. But you try your best to ignore it, and after a while you manage to doze off. You're dreaming a nice dream, and then suddenly the earth beneath you begins to move. An earthquake shakes the prison, rocking it to its very foundation. On top of that, all the prison doors fly open, and everyone's chains come loose. You're awakening to a total catastrophe, thinking that all the prisoners must surely be gone. Your gut reaction is to kill yourself rather than face the consequences from your superiors. Having failed disgracefully in your duty, you feel compelled to do the honorable thing and fall on your own sword. And it might do you well to understand a couple of things quickly about Roman law. Number one, according to Roman law, if a person escaped, the guard had to suffer the penalty the prisoner would have suffered. Suicide might be better than having the humiliation of being tried for all the crimes of the escaped prisoners. The other detail about Roman law relating to this case had to do with suicide. It was a weird law, but true. The law was this. If a man was guilty of a crime in which the state could punish him by taking away his property, but if he would commit suicide before going to trial, his family would be spared the property. So in a way, this man may be committing suicide Due to this quirk in the Roman law, if he committed suicide, then at least his family would not lose everything. They would get all the property if he took his own life. So the guard thinks, wait a minute, what is this? It's that fanatic Paul shouting from the dark, don't harm yourself, we're all here. All of them still in their cells, even with the doors wide open. Not just Paul and Silas, but all of those being held in the jail, even those prisoners who had only been listening to Paul and Silas. Not one of them took the opportunity to run. And there is the irony of this story. The ones who were held behind bars in Philippi, Paul and Silas, 
were not the truly imprisoned. Though they'd been brutally beaten and thrown in jail for their faith, they were free in Christ. It was the jailer and others like him who were imprisoned. Even though the world may have fooled them into believing they were free. So there's two miracles in this story. The earthquake and an incredible miracle. Paul and Silas and the prisoners stood there and cared for a stranger. Do yourself no harm, though you beat me within an inch of my life. Paul is so secure in Jesus Christ that he has enough love left to care for a stranger. It's easy to understand now why the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Let's stand together, church, can we? Now, God's looking for a praise out of you and me. Isn't it amazing how everything changed when God's people began to praise Him? Isn't it amazing how prison could not hold the people who praised Him? We're to be a praising and a worshiping people. That's why I'm sharing these messages on worship in full color. Because God wants you to praise Him tomorrow morning when you wake up and you look at the alarm clock and you've got to go to that job again. God wants you to praise Him when things aren't going well in your home. Matter of fact, if you stood in the middle of your living room and began to praise God, there's no telling what devils might flee. <clears throat> the enemy hates praise. So just like we did last week, I'm going to do it again today. If you've never done this, if you've never praised God out loud, don't feel put on the spot. Just feel put on the opportunity. Because we need to learn to praise God, folks, if we're going to survive the 21st century and everything the enemy is, come, is going to send against us. <clears throat> So let's just right now just say, Lord, I praise you. I praise you. I want you to begin to thank God for something he did for you this week. Forget about the person.